Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 119. All right, guys. So uh, fresh off the presses, a new beta this week. Yeah. Luckily, they didn't fire off a new version of Xcode. It's, uh, yeah, another five gigs would have been fun to download again. So have you looked at it, loaded it on your devices yet? I mean, it's just, I know, it just came out the day that we're recording. Yeah, I have it on my phone. I haven't had much chance to really uh, explore. For the most part, it seems mostly visual. There's some new icons. Sadly, the calculator icon is still the the same. I was hoping that would get retouched. They retouched the calculator app, though. The buttons are now circular in the calculator app. <laughs> they were circular in previous betas as well. Yeah, I th- were they? I think that yeah. happened with like beta one. Yeah. Okay, well everything's circular, so what needs to be retouched? The icon's Since ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it represents it's representative of what's in the app. I know, but it's ugly. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious what it is. It's just ugly, in my opinion. The new App Store icon and the new Maps icon are are not bad, in my opinion. Are you one of those people that gets freaked out by the sight of like small holes? Have you heard of that? <laughs> no, I've never heard of that. <laughs> it's kind it's of an weird. actual phobia. Like some people have a hard time looking at like things like Perf- honeycomb or is perforation yes. phobia. I I forget the name of it. I used to work with a guy that had it, and uh, every now and then I'd show him a picture on my phone of something like that, just to get him to get him to give me a gross reaction. It's kind of weird. Uh, I don't know if I'd call this gross, but the settings icon changed as well. It's like a it has a dark background uh, compared to the previous versions. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. Yeah, mostly oh. it seems like polish at this point, yeah, which is good. So, it's you know, in terms of software, it sounds like we're getting close. Well, I think this was our first back-to-back update, too, so... Yeah, it surprising me, surprises me, because usually when we get a back-to-back, there's some kind of issue that really needs to be addressed. But high-priority issues, I think, tend to become like a, a day-after release like you know maybe if uh it's bricking certain models of phones out there then they'll pull the update and then re-release it the next day with a fix but yeah usually a week apart is kind of it's kind of unusual well i think there's a there's a website that we'll link to in the show notes that we do about this time every year that shows you like the cadence of the betas um and you can compare against previous years, but I think we're getting we're getting close. But we still have like probably three, two or three betas left to go, probably. Yeah. A uh, real time follow up. Try trypophobia is the uh, the thing. It's a phobia of holes, irregular patterns or clusters of small holes. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, look it up. Be curious to find out. If any of our other listeners out there, if it kind of freaks them out or not, there's there's definitely worse phobias to have. So this is yes, <laughs> this is so. not so so not so bad. So yeah, um, 
I'm looking forward to the end of the beta cycle and get my battery life back. Uh, I'm not looking forward so much though to all of these classic iOS games that are just going to go away because we will no longer have 32-bit support in the OS. You know, Touch Arcade had a nice list of them. You know, recent games like Sid Meier's uh, Starships was a game that was released in 2015. And how could they have not released 64-bit support when they did that? And the only thing I can think of is maybe their third-party libraries that they had didn't support 64-bit at that time. Or maybe they were using some gaming engine that just didn't do it. Yeah, I yeah my guess would be some type of engine. I don't know if it was Unity at the time or whatever, but... Yeah, it wasn't that long ago that Unity was 32-bit. And you, the new licensing scheme is different, so I could see that being an obstacle. Yeah, they kind of went more to that subscription model. Yeah, Infinity Blade is another one, but that's that's a much older game. It yeah, was... Infinity Blade basically was abandoned when uh, Chair split. You know, they yeah. had a game Although... that they previewed at at the keynote for WWDC one year, and uh, there was some difference of opinion, and they basically ended up just shutting down. Well, two and three are are still going to be around, so that's always good. Yeah, they they don't. Yeah, they haven't been touched in a long time, and I don't know how well they play today. And that's always an issue, especially with games. They they get stale, trends change. But there are I, definitely some good ones. Well, it's not a bad game. I think it gets a little crashy though. Oh, okay. Because it hasn't been uh, touched in a while. Well, if it was two thousand twelve, they had no concept of. The, the longer iPhone, it had no concept of the the 4.7-inch iPhone. Maybe not even Retina. Um, Although, if you're not using UIKit, blowing a... Well, hmm. Yeah, it's, it's probably crappy for all of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, definitely, because the screen ratios wouldn't necessarily be the same. Yeah, I want to say that if if it was iPhone five compatible, though, it probably still looks good on iPhone six or a six plus, even blown up. It looks okay yeah. for a game, just because games aren't don't normally have those you know pixel perfect designs that UI kit apps have. Yeah, I, I mean it will it would look better if it was in native resolution. I'm sure, uh, like. But I remember when we were updating our games, I was like, yeah, this looks better. But like, it wouldn't be a big deal if we were like late by a couple weeks or something whenever one of these new devices or form factors ship because it looked okay still for a game. Yeah, my, my guess is that if it didn't support the 5, that it's probably running in some kind of letterboxed mode. Right, yeah, and that's more obvious. Right. And although that wouldn't stretch it out in any kind of weird proportions or anything like that, just letterboxed and low res yeah although it should definitely be interesting to see what happens with this new iphone that's coming out not to jump to that but there's been a lot of speculation going on um and we don't, we're not really sure what's going to happen with this new bottom bar uh and the function area that people have been describing um but uh, samsung came out with a similar phone and on android what they basically do is if you if you're uh app was built sufficiently long enough ago it basically letterboxes it to 16 by 9 aspect ratio on a phone which is which was kind of surprising to us and we're actually just realized this in our fixing it now in our android apps 
<laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what Apple's going to be doing as far as like this new form factor and especially having that little the i the like the camera hump thing at the top what they're going to be doing for like existing apps and full screen apps and stuff like that to kind of handle it. I'm guessing maybe there'll be some type of letterbox mode too, just to cut off the status bar and maybe the bottom bar part too. Yeah, maybe we'll go back to the black status bar. Maybe that's just a crazy idea. <laughs> like where where you couldn't have any color to it. Yeah, so it just blended into the bezel. Although there's still not, I mean, we don't have room for the all the stuff that's on the current status bar so like the time's gonna go somewhere and other stuff is i mean if you have a couple icons up in the top right or if you are on like the wi-fi calling version of your mobile carrier it's not gonna fit no so yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how they handle all that stuff that may be maybe it'll be like a two-line status bar always or something like that i don't know or maybe you tap to see the details. Like, do you really need to see how many bars you have at a glance? Well, they did. I mean, they made they went back to the bars versus the the dots because I think yeah. it's it's thinner yeah. horizontally, but that you can still tell how many bars you have just because of the heights of the bars. So, I mean, they're trying to squeeze stuff down. So it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to squeeze it all in one line somehow, but. Well, the, yeah, it's, the clock will be just part of the button face for the virtual button. It could be. <laughs> yeah. That was one concept out there. Yeah. It's, Although. Yeah, who said that? I think it was on Twitter. I think it was an analog yeah. uh, clock on the home button. Yeah. That, I mean, we've also seen the, the icon for the app down there, too. Uh, kind of, you know how on some of the stuff in the beta, if, you, if it has that, like, expanded status bar thing and you scroll um the app name or whatever the header is like transforms into the little app icon so wonder if that will be something like that for the the function area the home button piece or what time will tell not much longer to wait yeah it's it's one of those things where i bet there's going to be a whole bunch of updates for ios 11 and then Subsequently, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who like have to work nonstop for a couple weeks and handle this new case that, honestly, I mean, I feel like Apple hasn't given us much as far as new APIs go to hint at what we should be doing to make our apps work with this. Now, some of it might be an opt-in strategy, like if you want your nav bar uh, assets on the bottom instead of the top, maybe it'll be a property that you had to opt in opt in or you just i mean we have we have that new expanded navigation bar thing but that can't be the only way that you can i would hope it's not at least the only way to take up the whole screen i'm trying to when you say expanded navigation bar i'm trying to picture what you mean by that the really tall nav bar oh with the the big text okay yeah Yeah, the giant bold text i thought you were talking about something functional that's just (laughs) aesthetically tall what is yeah what is the name for that ui ui navigation bar or just the 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 name for the big header style Uh, i'm not sure there's a property you set but i can't remember what it what it is oh yeah there's a property you set to make it not uh perform that 
that enlargement. I think that I think the default. I thought the default was the old way. It's the old way, unless you opt this is in, super and then the, ch- <laughs> the children oh, the children yes. basically inherit from the parent, unless you override it. Right. Yeah. You know, my guess is going to be that it's something along the lines of what happened when the five was released. So you had all these phones that or these apps that were made for three twenty by six forty. Is that right? Four eighty. Three twenty by four eighty. And then they introduced the five, which gave us three twenty by five sixty seven, I think it was. And if your app didn't have the right size uh, launch image in it, then it would always display as a three point five inch phone image. Right, but that's I mean, I, I just remember you could tell if an app had not been updated just by those bars yeah and they've been doing this adaptive design and the auto layout stuff for enough years that it it seems like one of these times they're gonna just ship something and it'll just adapt but maybe maybe this new crazy iphone pro 8x whatever it is is not going to be it yeah i don't know that they would they would automatically you know automatically let your app function in on a entirely new form factor yeah new as in like you have this crazy button and this odd sized you know, non contiguous status bar area that seems radically radical enough it's a seems to be radically different enough that Apple wouldn't just automatically let you into this without some kind of recompile against the the newest SDK. Yeah, I just it just makes all these apps look dated and I hate when they do that. <laughs> but I guess it's it's just a pain we have to suffer through. I think if they do you know, the opt-in model that they're going to do something other than just letterbox it with black bars on top and bottom. You know, I think they're going to want the apps to still look good hopefully unless they want to shame developers into upgrading. I think their policies typically shame the app developer for not upgrading. Okay. And just a quick update. The uh, the large header property is called large title display mode. Of course. Yeah. Well, at least it's descriptive of what it actually does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but speaking of shaming the developers, they there was a addition to the um the app store review guidelines last time they were updated that basically said it added a requirement for the app to be in the app store that it must compile and work as expected on the latest os so i mean who knows what that actually means i doubt they're going to be removing apps but if you submit a new app will they say no sorry it's got to work with this new iphone form factor Maybe they won't because I remember there is this like one year or two grace period when they came out with a four point seven inch screens, but yeah. But I think going from Xcode seven to Xcode eight, I think there was a very small window when you could still ship with Xcode seven. So I suspect they're going to push us to Xcode nine within six months, and by doing that, might force people to if they want to push an update. They're probably going to have to be up to date for the latest. Yeah, I've got all this anxiety about it because it's it's like this random crunch time that always 
like sneaks up on you if you have your own apps. Oh, this is my least favorite time of the year <laughs> as an app developer because it's yeah. You have a bunch of people who are reliant on you to to make sure their apps aren't yeah. shamed. And historically, there's always been issues if you have an old build running on the new OS, and then different issues if you update it to the new OS and run it on a older version of iOS, and it just you know, there's a couple of months where there's no, like, perfect, there's still enough bugs that uh, you have to work around them. It hasn't been as bad the last year or two, but, you know, yeah. there are a few years that it was pretty bad. So I'm curious, Alex, as uh, someone who runs a consulting outfit when you have, you know, a bunch of clients, do you, like, make sure that you have some spare cycles around iOS? Uh update time frame in order to deal with these issues from like all of your old clients that are going to be like oh no we need our app fixed or is this something you've been prepping them for and they they know it's coming and you've already planned for that or what do you guys do you do anything special for that or uh, we always try and keep a little bit of capacity uh, for updates and maintenance uh, but do you do anything special just for like the big ios updates or or the android os updates not jack up the prices not this year or or last year. It's been more the, you know, if, you know, we might do a test cycle uh, to see if everything's working well. But um, really, we haven't had as many major issues. You know, we in the last couple of years, we haven't had a new form factor. So, you know, the, the apps are more adaptive. Uh, it's... We do look for opportunities. You know, there's obviously the marketing opportunity of taking advantage of a new Apple feature and being in the App Store in day one with that. Uh, this year, uh, we ha there's not a whole lot really uh, that would drive value for our customers. Um, AR Kit, machine learning is really cool, but uh, we're, most of our customers aren't there yet. Interesting. Okay, I was just curious how that changed i mean it's it's a lot different from the days of like the ios 6 to 7 transition where basically everyone had to rewrite their app or significantly change it yeah so. it, it's definitely easier than it was but i do suspect if with the new iphone 8 that if it's a new uh screen ratio with perhaps a different layout that we might if it is an opt-in model you know we'll probably have a few clients ask us to get their apps up to speed quickly yeah back in the day when we had to like code uphill both ways to the new <laughs> ui updates <laughs> oh i remember doing a six to seven conversion and having to make the uh people running on six still look like they're running on seven so oh was, yeah that was a weird <laughs> weird transition yeah um but you had like the edge layout guides were kind of wonky too early on uh with auto layout i think it was auto layout so you had to yeah be it was like ios's awkward teenage phase <laughs> yeah but you know fortunately this year you know last year it was the swift to the swift 3 migration um where a lot of teams had to sink a decent amount of engineering effort into getting up to the latest this year hopefully that's so far, that hasn't been too bad. I've migrated a few applications to Swift 4, and uh, 
fairly clean. Um, also implemented Swift Lint on projects that weren't already using it, so uh, cleaned up a, a number of warnings and, and such with Swift Lint. So um, I think we're in pretty good shape this year as far as Swift goes, but you know it's not a just a push button migration for some applications, especially if you've got a lot of Objective-C Swift intermingled. Yeah, I have such a love-hate relationship with Swift Lint. We try and keep it sensible, but it's, it's not a bad way to enforce some style of consistency and eliminate some potential issues. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. It's just sometimes it's like at, at work, we have a, a method limitation of 40 lines and it's like you've got everything in your in your method you want. It's a little lengthy. It's 41 lines, and you're like, oh, nah, what do I need to pair out of this method Yeah, to shrink that, it down enough? Yeah, that was one of the most challenging ones for me was the uh, size of the method. And fortunately, I didn't have too many that were outrageously long. But that's where that refactoring, like extract method refactor can come in handy quite a bit. But you can run the risk of having a class that's too big at that point. So then you got to factor it out to a separate right. class or struct. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with it. It's it's fine. It's just sometimes there's things like that that are just kind of annoying. Like I had a switch statement that had, I think, uh, four or five cases. It was switching over an enum. And each one had a few lines. And there was a few lines for the setup of the of the method and it was just 41 lines it's like come on i had you know with the switch statement i had a couple where it said the cyclomatic complexity was too high yes and it wasn't really nested it was it was uh maybe two levels deep uh and not like a huge number of conditions but yeah that one that was probably one of the hardest ones to refactor because um you know, with like the enums, you're quite frequently kind of encouraged to do a switch statement. That's just kind of the the nature of it, right? But so really, it's... your your enums should be um, like the the cases probably should be firing off method calls rather than yeah. doing a few lines of code for each yeah. one. I think in most cases they were. It just yeah, it it was just enough to put it over the top. Yeah, um, the testing framework. Quick and uh, nimble. That one will, if you have enough uh, spec tests in there, it'll throw off the the Swift linter. Really should yeah, probably you, just turn it off for your tests. Yeah, you you sh you should be able to exclude it. Though it is nice to be able to analyze test code, but if the way those are structured, I could definitely see that being problematic. Yeah, because you basically get penalized for writing comprehensive tests. Yeah, but or, you know, putting context around it too. It's yeah, and and you can disable that particular warning. It's not a huge issue. Yeah, but then you have to explain to your team lead why you're disabling that that particular yeah. Swift Lint call. The other option is to disable it for the file, but that seems like cheating. <laughs> yeah. So All speaking right. of Swift, yeah. What do you think Latner is going to be doing over at Google? He is, according to uh, the tweets and 
and write-ups that we've seen so far, he's going to be working on AI over there, uh, which is kind of in line with what he was doing with Tesla with the autopilot. So definitely seems to be an area of interest. It really doesn't surprise me that he's going to Google. That seemed like a logical step from, from Tesla. You know, there's not that many companies doing large-scale AI, so it, it didn't surprise me that Google snatched him up. Well, and he hits the trifecta of all the stock options for the, the big Silicon Valley companies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he was at Tesla long enough for that. Yeah, but, I think so. <laughs> um, you know, Facebook is probably next on the on the journey, and then... <laughs> then he'll have to do his own startup. But, you know, with Chris at Google, um, you know, Swift 5 is still moving forward. And uh, they published a roadmap uh, recently. And pretty much the main thing on that roadmap is ABI stability. And that was originally planned for four. That's pretty much going no, to No, be... no, 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 no. It was originally planned for three, wasn't it? You're right. You're right. For three. <laughs> fool me, you know what they say, fool me once. <laughs> Yeah, so that is the meat of Swift 5, and that is, in their words, it's it's not a nice-to-have, it's a requirement. So um, I don't think we're going to see a lot from a syntax perspective in, in Swift 5, other than a little bit of polish. You know, there's a intent to continue to improve on the Swift string, but I, I think we'll see fairly minimal changes and they're also talking about starting on concurrency which is another big uh challenge that isn't going to fit into swift 5 but they're going to try and lay the groundwork for it it would be nice to see them sherlock some of the the reactive programming frameworks absolutely yeah i don't know i'm <laughs> I'm predicting some of this uh, concurrency stuff starts looking really sexy to the people working on Swift, and they're going to be like, well, they could wait one more year. <laughs> nah, I don't know. We'll see. From an end-user perspective, having binary compatibility isn't a huge issue. Unless... <laughs> it's begun. <laughs> <laughs> but this cool concurrency thing would be really awesome, yeah. huh? <laughs> well... It, it's great if you're a framework developer. Um, as an app developer, it does suck because you have to bundle the Swift runtime. But Well, that's something Apple can fix. I'm not sure why they haven't. I guess, in theory, it's supposed to be, it was supposed to be taken care of two years ago, so that's why they haven't been like bundling them with the OS. But Yeah, they just keep kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like they could bundle the Swift runtime, but they would have to, it just it would be something that would keep growing and growing and growing the more Swift versions we have. So you, you have every point release, you know, so you got 1.1 one, one and 1.1.1 one, 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 and, and all the way up to to the current four. And that would just, I guess that's still smaller than if, uh, if, Every app developer has to keep including the Swift runtime in their app. Yeah. You know, I don't know if they could download it on demand. Like, oh, this app needs this version. Or even just have like an OS level cache of these are the different Swift versions I need. It seems right. like that would be a reasonable thing to do, but. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I'm sure I'm sure internally they're like, oh, but the next version is going to have ABI stability, so we don't have to worry about it. And then, <laughs> the, <laughs> whoops, the guys that are yeah, we should have done that thing. <laughs> the guys that are in charge of packaging up the all the the final packages for the OS just 
telling the Swift guys to get their act together. It's not our fault. It's their fault. Maybe there's some phobia for for doing that type of <laughs> integration where you include various new languages with the OS. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it has a cool name like your one for uh, for small holes. <laughs> well, if the if the Swift runtime actually is a, a static library, it's definitely not a framework. But if it's a static library, then you would just have issues trying to create that as a shared library and code signing as well i would imagine could be an issue since it's not a framework but not i'm not positive on that one oh apple they yeah. need to figure something out soon <laughs> i'm just waiting for them to bring it out on android officially oh. we'll probably see kotlin on ios before we see swift on android oh it's yeah, who knows it's already basically well it's already there in a very embryonic form right now yeah. and, and it's not there legit though no well they do have chris latner on staff now but it he's on a different team supposedly we'll see yeah speaking of uh java though what there's this link or this this note that we're supposed to talk about can you use an iphone to record the eclipse why are we using our iphone on a java ide sam what's going on here <laughs> that's terrible you need to learn yeah, to read the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this this thought came to my head earlier today, whether it would be safe to try to record the eclipse on the, the upcoming eclipse that's going to be coming across most of the United States in next week, is it? Next Monday? The 21st, yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty much a a very rare event for this part of the earth. I think the last one was in the earlier part of the 1900s. And so they didn't have phones back then. And now we do. But I thought, well, what if a bunch of people that don't know that they shouldn't try to record the eclipse, basically burn out their cameras (laughs) if trying to record this event by focusing them at the sun? Because if you look at an eclipse with your eyes, without any kind of protection and sunglasses don't don't count for whatever reason but you can go blind you'll basically burn out your retinas and so i thought well can this happen with phones and the the short answer is yes you can take pictures of the sun with your phone and the eclipse and everything uh, but your images are going to be terrible and you shouldn't do it for a very long time and and using uh, a magnifying lens like some of those telescoping lenses that attach to your phone will harm your phone if you focus it on the sun for a long time and the actual eclipse is going to take place over just a few minutes so it's it would be enough to harm the the image the light sensor on your in your camera on your phone if you did it for the full two three minutes as with a telescoping lens attached so but so but you need a telescoping lens in order to get a decent picture of the sun because the sun up in the sky is relatively small and you're it's only going to take up a a small amount of pixels in your uh, camera aperture so well so let's take a step back here so the place we're talking about specifically is the continental united states um 
there's basically a eclipse that's gonna hit from you know like seattle all the way down to the southeastern coast somewhere and i guess that hasn't happened for a while but i mean it there have been eclipses other places in the world recently and also in the united states maybe just parts of it but what what is so awesome about an eclipse it doesn't sound like it would be that cool to me like you see no light and then there's some light again <laughs> let's see from what i've heard and i remember seeing them as a kid but never a total solar eclipse that's one of the main differences between this event and other ones usually it's a partial um up here where we're at it's going to be about 90 percent coverage i think so it'll get pretty dark but not that dark um they say that when you're in the path of the total solar eclipse you kind of see all around the sun a 360 degree uh, view or sunset in a way so not 360 but a full full-on sunset from where each angle that you would look in the sky um, and then when it does fully envelop the sun it's it's dark and all the animals outside they don't know what to do it's it's very confusing to them it, I don't know. For for me to go see it, it would be about a three to four hour drive, and it's a small town in Kentucky, and they're they're already going to be overwhelmed with tons of people trying to get down there. So, I don't think I'll see it. I don't think I'll go down to see it. Yeah, if you live uh, where we all do in Ohio, I think in like four or five years, maybe eight years or something, there's another one that's going to kind of cut right through where where I live, and it. It'll be pretty close to where Sam and Alex live, I think. Um, but, I mean, from, from everything I've heard, like, if there's, like, a top three, uh, you know, astrological things to view, like, number two is, like, the Aurora Borealis, like, the Northern Lights, which is supposed to look spectacular, and then this thing is supposed to be way better. I just have not figured out why so i i think i'll probably find out in five or six years but if you're <laughs> in the path of the totality it sounds like it should be a cool event um and if you're just hearing about this now uh good luck finding somewhere in the next couple of days to to get in the, in there well the, the nice part about it is that it's, it's not just happening in big cities all around a certain belt of the u.s it's it's going to happen in every cornfield and campground and whatever all the way across this uh, diagonal portion of the u.s yeah i'm still expecting it to be cloudy (laughs) (laughs) yeah in ohio it probably will be cloudy but well it'll still get dark strangely dark yeah but um basically if you try to take a picture of the solar eclipse with your phone you're going to need some kind of filtering apparatus, like the same ones that you would use to to look at the solar eclipse with your uh, bare eyes. You don't want to look at it with your eyes without some kind of protection. And it has to be a, a certain type of filter. It's not just sunglasses. But it also sounds like it's not worth even attempting, right? You go through all that and you'll get a really bad picture, right? Well, it, So you might as well ex- try and experience it yourself, no? Yeah, well, they're... If you have a DSLR camera, it'll look it'll look pretty good. Um, it's just that the you'll need some kind of magnification to get a good picture, and you need a filter. 
in order to keep the um, so what will happen is if you take it without a, a, a filter the light from the, the the pixels that are actually receiving the light they're receiving a lot of light so it kind of bleeds over into the other picture other pixels that shouldn't be receiving light so you see like this kind of aurora around the sun but it's not a real thing it's just this light bleed that has happened and so your picture just looks terrible and even so you'd want to magnify it more and it's just not going to work really well with a cell phone i'll also point out in the little psa that a lot of the solar eclipse glasses out there are bogus amazon did a big recall uh, just uh last this week i think yeah yeah that's another issue so try not to burnt your retinas out otherwise you won't be able to see the cool retina displays we all have <laughs> exactly yep. it, yeah it's it's a very dangerous thing to do you don't want that tiny hole in your eyeball that will definitely give you the tryptophobia yeah that would make me super scared of tiny holes <laughs> now now i think i'm maybe experiencing a little bit right now <laughs> getting, getting goosebumps yeah well on that note i guess that's about all the time we have left this week so why don't you tell us where we can find you on the internet you can find me at aj robinson on twitter and i'm at Sam Corder on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo, and you can find the podcast at Shared Inst. Come join us in our Slack by going to chat.sharedinstance.com. Leave uh, some reviews on iTunes and like us in Overcast. Do all that cool stuff. And hopefully we'll see you next re- week if our eyeballs have not been <laughs> seared by the eclipse. You know, really macabre thought. Some of those episodes we did on accessibility a while back might come in handy. (laughs) Wow. Well, yeah. Yep. (laughs) Talk to you guys later. See you.